Well, good morning, everybody. Cold enough out for you? Don't worry, it's gonna get colder. Here on Christmas Eve, it's supposed to be 10 degrees. It's gonna be great. Oh, shh, I'm sorry. Apologize. Um, I, uh, I just wanna say again how, how wonderfully thankful I am uh, for the faith of this church. I mean, we have gotten beaten down this year, folks. I mean, there's uh, physically, we, I mean, we've, we've had cases of COVID and we've had people get sick and we've had people have sur like all kinds of surgeries and, and health scares and things like that. And yet I see the faithfulness of the people that, that these things are happening to. I see the faithfulness of the people who are praying for them. And I'm just, I, I cannot tell you how blessed I feel uh, to, to be a part of this church, to be able to stand up here on Sunday mornings and look out at the faces of the faithful that God has put into our church. I want to remind everybody real quick that uh, tonight we are uh, having our candlelight Christmas service. I want to uh, let you know that last year I think we had 120 people uh, in this room. Uh, and we had about 20 kids just kind of lined up along the wall that were doing the play and everything. So it does get a little crowded to get here early so that you can get a seat. We will bring out chairs and things like that. But it, uh, we are excited that uh, the kids have been preparing so well for the, uh, for the program. We've got special music for you. Uh, we've got a very, very, very brief message uh, this evening. Uh, and we're also going to be taking a special offering tonight. Uh, our offering is going to be split between Tender Care Pregnancy Center, New Hope Ministries, and Adams Rescue Mission. Uh, all three of these organizations do great work in the community, and they do it in the name of Jesus Christ. And since we have been so well blessed as a church this year, we want to be a blessing to those ministries uh, and be able to provide a little bit for them so that they can continue to shine the light of Christ into our community. During Advent this year, we've been uh, looking at the hope, peace, and joy that we can experience through the birth of Jesus Christ. Next week, Sunday, is Christmas Day. The day that we celebrate, uh, one of the kids said, God's birthday. We celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ on this day. And this morning, we're going to tie these three aspects together as we contemplate the theme for the fourth week of Advent, which is the love of God. And often as we prepare for Christmas, we think about the people we love and we want to see them be happy. We want to uh, give gifts. We want to gather together and just be with family, be with friends, be with loved ones. And we even think a little bit more, I think, uh, at this time of year about strangers. We go and ring the Salvation Army bell so that we can help raise money uh, for people who are less fortunate. We serve in soup kitchens and homeless shelters at this time of year more than any other time during the year. And we give to Angel Tree. We, we prepare and send shoe boxes around the world. We do all of these things at this time of year. And I know most of us do things at other times of year too. But as a, as a human race, it seems like this time of year is the time when people are especially thoughtful of others. But when we think about love in the week leading up to our celebration of Jesus' birth, we need to kind of untangle 
the things that we do and focus on the things that God has done for us because guess what? We can never outdo what God has done for us. And God started all the way back in the beginning. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And when we think about God's creation, we ought to be able to see his love for us. He, he, he created everything with a purpose, with an order. And all of the things that he created with that purpose and with that order the sun, the moon, vegetation, the stars, birds, fish, livestock, all of these things God created to sustain us. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Everything that God did in creation was for us. Because he loves us. When humanity turned its back on God, when they were tempted to become gods themselves by eating this fruit that God had told us not to eat, even then, God showed his love for us. He showed his love for Adam and Eve, and he showed his love for the rest of humankind. And in Genesis 3.15, God tells the serpent who had successfully tempted Adam and Eve, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And the word bruise here sometimes is translated as crush. He will crush your head. This is the first time that we read the gospel in the Bible. Genesis 3.15, because God is talking here about sending his son Jesus Christ. And we don't read that explicitly in this passage, but as we read through scripture, as we go from Genesis all the way to Revelation, we see this. It's a promise that Christ is going to crush the head of the serpent who we identify as Satan. And it's not merely the first time that God has spoken into our existence about the coming of a Satan conqueror. In Revelation 13, 8, we learn that Jesus, who is called the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, he was determined, he was chosen before the foundation of the earth. Revelation 13.8 says, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. It's talking about a beast that's going to rise up, this evil that's going to rise up in the earth. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. The book of life was written before God said, let there be light. It was determined before the foundation of the world that God loved us so much. He saw us. He knew that we would need salvation and forgiveness. He knew that Adam and Eve were going to sin. 
And he had a plan ahead of time for how to get us back. Now, some people say, well, if God knew that humans were going to sin, why did he create humans in the first place? Let me ask you parents something. Did you know your children were going to make mistakes before they were born? No, not, at, not us, right? Everybody else's child is going to make mistakes. Ours are going to be perfect. Did you and your spouse sit down one day, have a conversation that ended it? Well, you know, uh, no, that's it. We're not going to create one of those. Forget it. The majority of us parents have children because we love. And we want to be able to carry that love on to another person. We want to love our children, even if they do things that hurt us. And let's face it, our children sometimes do things that hurt us. It's the same with God. God created us, even though he knew we were going to hurt him. We were going to completely turn our backs on him. We were going to leave home. We were going to say, he doesn't exist. He's dead to me. And God still created us. And there's this one small detail that we have to look at when we think of God's love and God's creation, as opposed to just a parent's love and creation of their children. God just doesn't show love to us. God is love. And that's a weird and, and wild thing to try to wrap your head around, that God is love. Because we as humans, we consider love a supreme value, right? When we're looking, uh, when you were looking for a partner to spend the rest of your life with and to have children with maybe if you didn't think they were not going to be perfect. The ultimate question that we usually ask is, will, will he or she love me? And will I love him or her? Because that's what it comes down to. We want to feel love, even when we decide to have a child. How many of you ask yourselves, do I have enough love in me to have a child? To love that child with everything I am? If we're honest, we probably ask that question. And these are all good questions to ask from a human perspective. Because they speak of this potential. They speak of the what if. They speak of possibilities for the future. <coughs> but when we consider God and love, love becomes something more than just this supreme value, this something that we want, this something that we're looking for. Love becomes the supreme reality when we think of God. Love is the most real, the most actual, the most present reality of all because God is love. God always has been, God always will be, and God is right now. And we need to start looking at the reality of God when we think about the birth of Jesus Christ. It's nearly impossible to fathom this reality. We just don't have it in us to, to imagine eternity. How many of you are able to imagine eternity? 
<coughs> this is why our modern minds, we, we trivialize love. We reduce it to a feeling. How many of you have felt love? Nobody's felt love? Really? Wow. I'm going to be praying for you guys, either that you will feel love at some time in your life or that you'll stop lying. Um, how many of you have felt love and then lost love? That feeling, it's gone away. That's what we talk about when we talk about love. We talk about this feeling. We talk about this emotion. Some people won't even call it a feeling or an emotion. They'll call it chemistry. Anybody ever use the excuse, well, they just didn't have good chemistry. That's why they didn't work out. I've heard that before. I hear that from my high schoolers. Yeah, the chemistry's not right. So this is not the science hallway. What, what have we trivialized love to? If we can find it and lose it and find it and lose it all the time. This is what makes understanding this objective reality of God and love so difficult to understand. Because we're so used to, I love him, now I don't love him. I love her, now I don't love her. Which is not what God does. God loves us right now, and right now, and right now. He didn't stop loving us when we were 10 years old and we caught the kitchen on fire because we didn't know not to turn the stove on. He didn't stop loving us when we were 22 and we decided to go do some things that our parents told us never to do. And he hasn't stopped loving us today. And he's not gonna stop loving us tomorrow or the next day. Love is present when we're talking about the love of God. And I'll tell you, even as a follower of Jesus Christ, I've gotten to places, and, and if you're honest with yourselves, you've gotten to places too where you get caught into this mind trap that God must really not love me. I have done horrible things, or I have been a horrible person, or I just feel like, you know, maybe God loved me yesterday, but he doesn't love me today. Maybe he'll love me tomorrow. And we get caught in this trap thinking that God could possibly not love somebody like me. And I think if we're honest, we probably have all been in that position at least one time in our lives, even after we've come to faith in Jesus Christ. But John, uh, 1 John 4.16 tells us, so we have come to know and to believe that love that God, uh, believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And this is not a temporary situation. This is the objective reality of the follower of Jesus Christ. God always loves us. As much as we might think that he doesn't, or that he won't, or that he can't, 
does. And that is a source of joy. It is a source of hope, and it should give us peace. All of these things that we've been talking about during this season of Advent, God can't not love us. Because God's not in the temporary emotion business. God is in the objective reality business. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the difference between happiness and joy. If you were here, you, you heard the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is that feeling, that temporary emotion. It comes and goes on a whim. I can be happy with something right now and not happy with it five minutes from now. And that's something we have to remember about feelings, happiness, sadness, anything. We can't control those things. We can't control how we feel. Because the way we feel changes constantly. In our household, we say, you feel how you feel. If somebody's angry, they're angry. If somebody's happy, they're happy. If somebody's sad, they're sad. And we're not going to tell that person, well, you shouldn't feel that way. How many times have you ever heard somebody say, well, you shouldn't feel that way? Nobody's ever heard that before. How many of you ever said it before? Oh, don't feel that way. This is what happens. You can't tell yourself to not feel a certain way. Well, and, and this is the danger. This is what happens when we will say something like, well, if you're sad, just think happy thoughts and you'll be happy. I'm sure nobody's ever heard that before. But it's true. We tell ourselves these things. And we can't control our emotions. But the good thing is that God isn't interested in our emotions. God is interested in a permanent reality that is secured in him. That's why we feel joy. We experience joy because we experience Jesus Christ. It's why we have hope. It's why we live in peace. These things are not feelings. These things are reality. And love is the same way. Love, the love of God, is a reality. A few years ago, when I first came here to uh, Morning Hour Chapel, I preached a sermon series on the greatest commandment. Some of you were here. Some of you weren't. But during that series, we looked at the four different kinds of love, or the four different Greek words for the word love. And there was eros, which is desire. And that's any kind of desire. It could be physical desire. It could be desire for the emotion of love. It could be a desire for anything. But it's always a selfish kind of love. I want that. I want to feel this way. I want to be with that person. I want to do this thing. It's always what we want, regardless of what anybody else wants. And then there's storgi. Storgi means affection. Storgi is the love that parents feel for their children. And we believe that it's a fierce love, but have you ever had your child do something that made you feel like maybe you didn't love them that day? All the kids are like, really? Mom, dad? But it is, it's this fierce, it's this 
uh, almost uh, instinctual love. It's the love that mama bear has when somebody does something to their child and they are ready, man, they are ready to attack. But it's still, it's not this, it's, it's this instinctual, this, this kind of animal emotion more than it is a reality. And then there's uh, philia or friendship, like Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Philia is brotherly love. And that's basically, hey, uh, we have things in common, let's hang out and do stuff. And those things are very transient, even though we choose them. We choose to be friends with the people we choose friends with, right? I hear a lot of people say, well, you, you, you can't choose your uh, family, but you can choose your friends. And we do. We choose our friends. And then we choose not to be friends with them for whatever reason. We move. We don't like something that they say. We don't like their politics. We don't like their religion. Whatever. And it becomes this transient love, this temporary love. But whether it's eros or storgi or philia, all of these things have the potential to be temporary because our desires change. Sometimes our instincts change. Our choices in friends change. But then there is this other love. It's called agape. That's the Greek word for it. Agape is that permanent, current reality of love that is God. And it is through that love that we're supposed to love others. Agape is not a love that has conditions. It doesn't care how you look. It doesn't care whether you've had a bad day. It doesn't care if you have or haven't done whatever it is that I want you to do or not do for me. It is just there. And I know what you're saying. That kind of love is impossible. And a lot of people believe that that kind of love is impossible. I actually read an article this week. There is no such thing as unconditional love. And they were right. But they weren't looking at agape. They were looking at all of these other kinds of temporary love. God's love is unconditional. You know how I know? Think about how you love yourself. I thought about this this week. Think about how you love yourself. You might not like yourself much. And I'm sure that everybody here has not liked themselves from time to time because of something we did or something we said. But even if we don't like ourselves, most of the time, don't we try to take care of ourselves? We still eat. We still sleep. We still work. We still try to do what is best for us. Sometimes we feel stupid. Sometimes we feel like nothing we ever do is right. Sometimes we feel like we're evil. I've had people come up and tell me, how can God love me? I've done these terrible things. But none of those things stop us from loving each other. And in fact, the dislike that we have for ourselves is proof that we love ourselves. Because if I dislike myself, that means I want to improve something. It means I want something to change. It means I want something to shift so that I can 
feel better about myself, so that I can love myself. And that is a constant, all the time thing. If you think you hate yourself, that is a temporary emotion because you're still getting up every day. You're still taking care of yourself. You're still loving yourself. Jesus was asked about which commandment was the most important of all. And he replied in Mark 12, 29 uh, to 31. Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Put it a different way in the actual translation that it was written in. Agape God. And agape your neighbor as you agape yourself. We agape God because God is agape. God is love and if we abide in love we abide in God. God abides in us. It's a package deal. When we abide in God, we are living the reality of love. This also means loving our enemies. Not emotionally. Because let's face it, emotionally we can't love our enemies. We love with the love that God gives us. The love that is in us when we abide in him. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God doesn't want anybody to spend eternity apart from him. And this is his love. He is patient. He is going to wait. He wants all to reach repentance. Now, all might not reach repentance, but that's not because it's not God's will. It's because we have our own will. But let me ask you a question, and I have to ask myself this question a lot lately. Is that what we really want? Do we really want nobody to experience eternity apart from God? I know that's an easy question to answer until we look at circumstances. You ever heard of a an especially heinous crime and all you want is for the criminal to be punished? Have you ever thought in your head, if you've never said it out loud, that criminal deserves to burn in hell for what they did? <clears throat> These are the thoughts that we sometimes have, whether we want to admit it to ourselves or admit it to others or not. <clears throat> and that's an emotion. It's not something we can control. What we can control is what we do next. 
we can hang on to that emotion and let it fester and believe that there are certain people that do not deserve to live with God forever. And when we make that decision, we are playing God. We are living in Genesis chapter 3. We are eating the forbidden fruit. We are saying we know better than God who should go to heaven and who should go to hell. That's what we're doing. <clears throat> we're commanded to love that person. That person that has committed a heinous crime against somebody else. That person who's committed a heinous crime against us. We're commanded to love them. We should, as followers of Jesus Christ, want that person to find repentance. We should want that person to come to a place where they understand that they are sinners. We want that person to understand that the only way to conquer sin through a baby in a manger. A baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, wrapped like a present that grows up to hang on a cross for us and for them. This is the reality of Christmas. It is wanting everyone to know Jesus Christ. It is wanting everyone to know the love and the forgiveness of God the Father. It is wanting everyone to come to repentance. Jesus said in John 13, 34 to 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Just as I have loved you, just as I left my home in heaven to fulfill my Father's plan from before the foundation of the earth, to reconcile you to him so that you might know eternal life, with God. That's how you're supposed to love. And notice this last words, if you have love for one another, not if you feel loved for one another. We're supposed to have love because we are supposed to abide in the God who is love. Jesus didn't come to earth for us to feel love. He came to earth to show us that God is love. And that the love of God is reality. And this Christmas, if we can at all, let us untangle the emotion from the reality. As we contemplate the birth of Jesus Christ, which we celebrate a week from today, let us contemplate the love that God is and the love that we ought to have because of him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your
love. We thank you that you are love. We thank you that you loved so much that you gave your only son to die for us. And Father, the only way for him to die for us is to live for us. And as we look forward to this week, these last seven days leading up to when we celebrate the birth of your son, Jesus Christ, Father, make it impossible for us to look at the manger and not see the cross. Make it impossible for us to look at the manger and not see your love. And Father, make it impossible for us to not be love to every person we encounter. Those that have done us wrong, those that have committed crimes, and those that we, however temporarily, love ourselves. Father, your scripture says that if we abide in love, that you abide in us, because you are that love. Let us experience that love more strongly this week than we ever have in our lives and let us carry it forward into the new year, into a new decade, into a new century if we make it that long. Father, we thank you for loving us. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. For all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. As you go out this week, as you're finishing up your preparations to celebrate Christmas next Sunday, remember that God is love and that he abides in you. And it is our duty, our responsibility, and it should be our privilege to love others. Go in love this week. God bless you.